The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to Dugout Study Hall, a remedial course in baseball stats and part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. I'm your host and expert layman, Matt Goodwin, joined by my co-host and your fake baseball economist, Alexander Chase. On this episode, we will talk about the Home Run Derby, the All-Star Game, mic'd up players, and reflect on some of the more controversial draft day players' performances in the first half, broken into five tiers based on ADP. But before we get to all that good stuff, Alexander, how you doing? You know, not too bad. How about yourself? Pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, I um, it's an exciting week for baseball fans who are are huge fans of the uh, the All Star shenanigans. So, <laughs> uh, a little break from fantasy, which um, I know if you're a huge fantasy player and a huge baseball fan, you might hate that. When I was a kid, I absolutely hated the the day after the All Star game because there was nothing. Um, now as a grown up, it's not too bad to have a little bit of a, a brain break from it from, uh, for a couple of days. Um, but, uh, my question for you is, did you enjoy the home run derby more or the game itself more? Oh, that, that's not even a debate. Uh, it's the home run derby <laughs> and it's not close. Um, so let me ask you, is that an always thing? Is it always that, or is it just this year? Cause I felt, I thought that this year's home run derby was particularly entertaining. I, I think the things that made this year's home run derby particularly entertaining were kind of sort of overlapping with the things that made this year's all-star game particularly entertaining. Um, the guy who was favored to win it also being the guy who is pitching the next day and leading <laughs> off kind of is the overlap there. But I just think like the spectacle of what makes the home run derby so fun is really unique um yeah whereas like the all-star game is just an all-star game um, right right like i i'm also the sort of person who kind of like wishes there was like more participation from like the best basketball players in the slam dunk contest yeah maybe, yeah maybe better judging <laughs> but like <laughs> you know i remember blake griffin jumping over akia kind of he didn't really jump over he kind of, like faked him over the hood <laughs> But I digress. I remember that way more than anything that's happened in any NBA All-Star game ever. Um, I cannot recall anything that has ever happened to Pro Bowl affecting anything in yeah, U.S. Yeah. culture, period. <laughs> uh, so, like, obviously the NFL doesn't matter. And, like, hockey? 
um, the MLS All Star Game is actually all usually pretty cool because yeah. they'll find like other opponents to play. And the, the WNBA All Star Game is going on tonight, and uh, it's like Team USA's players versus like the rest of the All Stars essentially. So like oh, okay. again, there are there are ways you can make things cool. And yeah, I think for that's sure. kind of like the thing that we have to check in on once in a while. The actual All Star Game, like I don't know, we've talked about this before. Like you remember when it didn't matter yeah is that a thing and then <laughs> it started to yeah i mean and then it didn't again yeah you know i so. i think people have made some pretty good points there was a, a time uh a long time ago where you know, you didn't get all this access on tv if you wanted to see a game mm-hmm. you went to the stadium and that meant you didn't necessarily see people from other leagues or the stars you'd read about them you'd see the box scores you never got to see them so the all-star game was this amazing moment to be able to see these people playing but with the you know obviously the stuff we have at our disposal today with tv and social media and highlights being tweeted and all of that um, it does take a little bit of of that away Mm -hmm. Uh, i like the personalities and i think that's one of the reasons i liked this all-star game this year more so than i have in the past and probably also the home run derby um, I honestly had no idea Pete Alonso had so much personality rocking. I really didn't. Um, and boy, uh, in spades, he has personality. So I, I, I liked them both. I definitely enjoyed the home run derby more. Um, it's also a little bit less of a time investment. I think you can kind of come in and out of it if you want oh, your, yeah. your guys hitting. You totally can. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, I suppose you can come in and out of the all-star game too, but if you missed that Vladdy bomb, yeah, that was a big moment in the game. You know, it's kind of here and gone, and and you missed it. Um, I I don't know. I thought I kind of felt like like they did a pretty good job. You know, as we've mentioned before, uniforms aside, um, I thought that I thought it was pretty uh pretty well done. Uh, yeah, all around um, really. I I've even heard the take from some people who were there that the unis looked just fine in person, which is mm, really funny. I mean, listen, um, maybe I wasn't there, but I mean, same. I wasn't gonna go to Colorado just to screw around and <laughs> be in Colorado. Um I really do think though that like this was probably the best case like all-star experience that Major League Baseball could have hoped for. Mm-hmm. Um all of the George shenanigans being part of it, but then just like the Colorado fans for all that their team's ownership and management have been doing to not make the sport fun, you know. Yeah. They showed up and you know there's the moment where um stories up to bat and arnado is like basically pumping up the crowd for him yeah, because you yeah. know like he has no beef with those fans and he has no beef with story um who right. will probably be finding an exit door soon as well so um <laughs> yeah there was know, a really nice moment with arenado nice. and the fans uh when he was announced and um it, i mean it looked to me like he might have been holding back some emotions who knows I don't want to uh, speak for the man but it was a really touching moment uh at least on my side of the screen I thought it was pretty cool yeah, so like it's a good event. Um, I always find really funny all of the weird things about like who does and doesn't get to be an all star or an all star yeah, starter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really funny for me to see from like Baseball Reference. They tweeted out like the war totals for like all of the players and like <laughs> Teoscar Hernandez is a huge standout among the starters. Is like just a dude who's kind of there to a degree. Mm. Um, happy for him though. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely an event that I think you have to kind of take in as a fan and not as an analyst. And um, I think that that was really fun for me. Is that you know, it, whoever you want to pick for the home run derby, very very unscientific. Unless yeah, right, yours right. was like who won last time, 
Uh, is he just going to crush everybody again? And uh, Pete did that as well as crushing yeah. some baseballs. Oh my goodness, like a machine. Did you see that they had the uh, they had two broadcasts? ESPN two, I believe, was running a stat cast mm-hmm. version. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty cool idea, I thought. Oh yeah, I mean, like that they do that. I think for Sunday Night Baseball, pretty irregularly. And I mean, the the big important thing I think is that the people who do the stat cast broadcast really like baseball yeah. and just express it in a different language. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, the center point is not being right or like, you know, proving the legitimacy of their like worldview. It's yeah, just Yeah, right, right, right. These dudes rock. Let's quantify it a little bit. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and some know, people th- love that it. That joy is important. Then some people don't and now there's an options for for both of them. I'm going to ask you one more question before we move on from this. Would you like to see more of the skills competitions in the baseball? I I feel like the oh, NFL yeah. thing oh, yeah. Is uh the coolest thing isn't isn't that they do like the Pro Bowl. It's when they do those cool like who can throw it through the hoop from furthest away kind of stuff. Like that's pretty entertaining. I, I would love to see more like uh the a bunting competition or <laughs> you know, like target practice from some pitchers. I, I guess it would increase the likelihood of, of silly injury, but I, I, I think it would be pretty entertaining. Like that's where I want it. Like I want like a peak Byron Buxton wins everything skills competition basically set up a pitching Uh, machine to launch one over their shoulder and see if they can catch it yeah yeah i think that'd be really (laughs) fun um like that's exactly the sort of thing i'm looking for and that coors in particular would be super well set up for it because you got all that outfield to deal with yeah 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 um you know maybe a bunting competition um where you have to like consecutively get them fair through a particular area i don't know that could be really fun i think it's you know, the korean league that has that and yeah, they've the got like thing. targets on the field and you get points for landing it inside certain areas it's like Top american gladiators meets bunting uh, <laughs> yeah no I, I'm, I'm with you i think the, the embracing the silly of what baseball is it, it's a really really weird game where a round object hits a round object <laughs> and uh, and then we just pray for the best and somehow it's one of the most predictable sports we got despite that really obvious bad idea that it's at the center of it so um yeah no all-star game do more fun stupid things i'm here for it <laughs> yeah definitely all right let's move into a uh, number of the week um i'm gonna hit you with uh number 160 which uh, at this point, we are now at the All-Star break. So uh, when we're recording this, there will be some games played maybe uh, before you. Well, there'll be one game Thursday uh, before anybody hears this. Um, if you're not listening on Friday, there'll probably be a handful more games. But uh, at the All-Star break, there are five qualified players uh, from Fangraphs uh, above that mark, above the 160 mark for WRC Plus at this point. Um, do you want to play a guessing game or do you want to just kind of go through each one and we can talk about uh, what makes um, them so awesome? I have one question. Yes. Um, does Jacob deGrom qualify as a, as a hitter here? Uh, I, 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 you'd have to ask Fangraphs. My guess is no, but um, it would be interesting to look up his WRC plus as, as yeah, an offensive he's been, hitter. He's been like the best hitter and the best pitcher for the events. So I'm, I'm sure there's some fun <laughs> splits stupidity there as well. Um, I'm trying to think, and I'm sure I'll get... I'm just going to give you six guesses, and then you're going to laugh at me, and uh, we're going to do our best. Okay. Um, so I feel like the the most obvious ones, Otani, Tatis, Vladdy. And Those then, are the top three. Yeah. I feel like from there, things 
are a little bit easier to be wrong about, especially because I'm not a thousand percent sure about all the splits. All right. So here, I'm going to tell you one thing that might help. Uh, Number five is uh, at uh, 161. um, And then it drops down uh, like to 155. And then there's a bunch of guys at like 149. But there is a little bit of, it's not just like it's at 159 and 161. So it's a little less nuanced, but sure. I mean, you're talking about five points of WRC plus and half a season. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, God, I'm, I'm just going to give you some guesses uh, that are probably wrong. Um, uh, can we go, uh, Matt Olson? Uh, no, good guess, okay. but no. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm biased towards the dudes who just hit lots of balls out of the park. Um, <laughs> assuming Joey Gallo's not on this list, then he's not on this on this <sighs> list. No, sad. He'll get there. He'll get. There. Is Kyle Schwarber on this list? No, no. I okay. think probably because he was hurt by being so terrible mm. early on. That's very true. He was that. Thing. Yeah. Um, so I got one more guess, and let's see if I can go four for six. Um, is Acuna on that list? He is. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yep. There yep. we go. Number five at one sixty-one. Number four. I, I. I don't know. I think maybe this is a good segue into what we're going to talk about in terms of like guys that people are a little oh, split hold on. on a sec. Is this your Don? No, it's not. It's okay. not. Um, but I, he's definitely done better this year than I personally expected. Um, so I, I've been a little bit wrong. Uh, we'll go through them. Vladdy's number one at 189, which is an absolutely insane number. Um, uh, Otani is next at 180, and that's not counting his pitching side. So in terms of value, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, he's 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 not probably a real person. yeah, right, right. Uh, Tatis is three 168. Acuna is five at 161. And Max Muncie is four at 165. 165 for Max Muncie. Didn't he just get drafted? I think we already did yes. that joke. Yeah. I think everyone already did that joke. <laughs> I wanted to include that joke in my uh, my um, best MLB moments. So I do Monday nights and, and or Monday day and night, whatever, whenever the games are played. And mm-hmm. it, it, it uh, gets published on Tuesdays. So I was on the Home Run Derby. That was where I was pulling my moments from. And there were so many things to talk about from that derby that I had to sideline the fact that Max Muncy yeah. was drafted again. Um, but uh, th- that's definitely funny. It, they, I, There was a, another coincidence, too. Like, they had the same, same birthday, birthday yeah. same team. Yeah, no, real, real, like, simulation breaking. We see you, EA. We know that you're trying to pass <laughs> off our reality as a Sims game. Yeah, this is like the Matrix it. stuff. Like, there was a, a blip in the Matrix um, yeah. but I like to just take that and make it worse is kind of my opinion on that sort of thing. <laughs> uh, anybody else in that list that you particularly want to talk about before we move on? Maybe somebody we, I mean, I don't think we're going to talk too much about uh, like Acuna yeah, and where he got drafted or anything. Uh, obviously a big deal <laughs> that he's, he's out for the rest of the season. Yeah. I, that's not a laughing matter. Obviously right, right, um, right. it is very funny though, to think that, um, you know, there's anything controversial that could possibly have been, been said about where. And yeah, right, 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 definitely. Top five. Yeah. So we're probably Wait, not going to talk about it. Did we get, um, did we get number six on this list? Is there a sixth guy? Uh, the, no, these are just the top five oh, okay. uh, who I'm were 160. Maybe that's where the six stuck in oh, your mind. Oh, yeah, that's, that's where it came from. Five players yeah. who were above. Uh, there's a couple of guys, if you want to add to the list, that right. were mm-hmm. just under the cutoff. I will go. You talk. I will find. <laughs> you're telling me to talk yeah no i feel like a lot of the guys i was considering naming um i was really like worried about like how much they had played 
Um, you know, the guys who you'd kind of expect to be on that list, like I'm sure Mike Trout doesn't qualify because he hasn't played enough games. Um, I wonder if Byron Buxton has played enough games. I don't think Juan Soto has been good enough, but I'm sure he'll get close to this mark at some point. Like, so like trying to do like, has a guy qualified or has a guy not for these sorts of numbers is kind of weird. Uh, qualifying for these things, by the way, you know, you have to hit a certain number of like plate appearances in total. Yeah. Um, right. Right. Just kind of like t- tied to how many um, plate appearances your team has. I think it's three for every game it's something like that. i don't know i should know this i don't um, for <laughs> pitching it's one ending pitch to game um so okay yeah, yeah. i'm going so. to i uh give you the rest of the it's going to be the top 10 in terms of numbers sure, but there sure, are sure. two tied at that last spot so it'll be 11 guys so vladdy shohei otani fernando tatis jr max muncie ronald acuna jr are the top five number six is matt olson there's your boy He's at 156. Nick Castellanos is tied with him, uh, 156. Uh, Joey Gallo, 153. Cedric Mullins, the second, at 151. And then Carlos Correa and Xander Bogarts are tied at 149. Nice. Okay, that that all kind of matches to who I think has been good. So I'm glad that I'm not crazy. No, yeah, Um, and a couple of your guesses were just outside that top five. So that should make you feel pretty good. Yeah. Um, for what it's worth, this season as a batter, um, Degrom has a one fourteen WRC plus at this point. Okay. Um, though I think he was significantly higher before they told him to stop swinging as much because he's <laughs> getting hurt. Whatever yeah. that means. Yeah, you don't want that with him. I mean, that's that's still pretty good for a pitcher. He's got a three sixty four uh, on base. Yeah. He's, anybody uh, who any of the offensive players okay. who have less than a one fourteen. Maybe should get some tips from DeGrom here before the second half starts. Um, all right, let's let's dive in here to the crux of our conversation. Our central question for today is is really kind of about going back and reflecting on draft day when we were all all kind of talking about who who should be picked, where should they be picked, why should they be picked, mm-hmm. who's gonna be good, who's not, who's gonna be a bust. Who's going to be a breakout? All of those things, all those conversations that happen every draft season will happen again next draft season. Um, And to kind of look at like a then and now, like what were we saying there? Uh, Who was super controversial and what do we know about them? What have they done? Who's been right? And do we expect that to continue? I mean, there could be people doing victory laps right now on a guy who Mm -hmm. then the second half just falls apart and doesn't wind up Mm -hmm. in a great place. So um, that's kind of the conversation point for today. Is there anything you want to say about that before we start talking about, we kind of have this broken down into tiers and ranks and uh, we have guys we're going to talk about, but uh, any general thoughts you want to share with the people before we dive into the specifics? Yeah, yeah, I felt like this was an important topic to talk about now because we have like a nice delineation for first half, second half that we always talk about uh, Mm -hmm. year to year. So I feel like we may as well check in on these like first halves. And I really want to talk about the controversial guys because I feel like if there's anything that we forget year to year, it's that uh, so much is out of our hands. Right. Um, we're going to talk about a lot of guys here who we spent so many hours debating whether or not you should be taking them in different areas, reaching for them, putting them off your draft board entirely. Um, we've picked out like three or four guys in like five different tiers because some of them, there's just not much to say. And right. that's kind of one of the points I want to make sure we can kind of just get ahead of time before we dive too far in that a lot of things are out of our hands. Um, I also think because we've got almost half the season left, it's worth kind of reconsidering reconsider- like what made us 
waffle on some people Mm -hmm. what lessons we can kind of learn as people inevitably return from injury like again like some of these guys are and right see how long it took us for some of the conventional wisdom to prove itself true or false you know whoever you are um at the beginning of the year doesn't change a whole lot towards the end of the year a lot of the changes players make are in the offseason when they get healthy or when they make adjustments right some people aren't going to get healthy like if they're coming back hurt right um if you're playing hurt it's also generally bad for your future which is not great right. but, yeah, yeah you know i just felt like there's a lot of like we are going to be able to reflect and realize that we've known who these people are for a long time this season and i think that's it's good to remember that so yeah, yeah. fair enough do, do you have any uh do you have any uh deep regrets about draft day that this is bringing up for you uh, I, know, I, I, do. I, I definitely have a, a regret of not being in more on vladdy um you know, there was there was raging debate about him. People are getting angry at each other and calling each other names yeah. and stuff. I mean, I know Twitter is usually a pretty peaceful and kind place, uh, sure? but <laughs> that was close sarcasm. Um, here, here's where I was on on Vladdy. I never thought that he wasn't going to be awesome. I I just had a hard time wrapping around my head around the fact that it was definitely going to be this year. Now the the weight loss at the the beginning was a, a, a and the fact that it sort of started and coincided with the weight loss at the end of last year is a really good sign. And people that ran with that are being very well rewarded at this point. Um, I think it was totally fair, especially if somebody had burned a pick like last year or the year before or you know, off the waivers when he came up, expecting him to come up and just be what he had been in the minors immediately, being a little gun-shy. I totally understood that that end of it as well. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. So for me, I, I, I definitely regret not getting more Vladdy on my team. I think that's pretty obvious. I think anybody who doesn't have him regrets that at this point. Um, oh, yeah, he's yeah. just been awesome, obviously. Um, yeah. Aside from we, that... We will talk you know, about him probably just a tiny bit more uh, here sure. in a moment. Um, I think before we get too far, that we should probably break out uh, kind of how we've chosen to delineate this. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 definitely. I I, I was just going to, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, in no, terms we're, of we're, like... We're all getting ahead of each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's easy to get ahead of ourselves. We're excited about this stuff. Um, I, I, I think it's, it's hard to sometimes when people think back about their regrets because somebody could be performing really, really well. But what was the cost? You know, they think, oh, I could have had that guy on my team. But yeah, but who would you not have had? And how would that have changed? your game plan and and so i mean it, there's a lot of that too that you have to look at, look back at hindsight is always 2020 but it just because you made a bad call or, or i shouldn't say let me try that again just because you made a call that didn't work out doesn't mean it was a bad call um it's just the nature of things and i think that's part of what we're talking about here is that stats and numbers and, and information is great you should be as informed as possible but it's not a guarantee of anything uh, because these are human beings playing a game and they're going out and they're going to do human things and they're going to be affected in human ways. And, and that's just the nature of it. So it wouldn't be fun if we all know who won immediately after a draft, right? We, we want to play it out. So, um, you know, that's, that's the beauty of it as well as the frustration of it. Um, I guess that was my, my larger point. Yeah. One of the trends that I think um, you'll hear from people who like kind of just want to rile people up. Um, I'm going to be like a little bit generous there or not like just call them dumb. I I typically tend to think that people are smarter and also just a little bit more chaotic than we expect Um, is you'll hear something that's like, why did every single person on a list, you know, have Mike Trout ahead of Vlad Jr.? Like, why didn't someone see this coming? Well, it's like based off the information we had, if you 
placed an even odds bet that you'd get more fantasy value out of Vlad Jr. than Mike Trout. And we can try to draw those comparisons that are a little bit more fair at mm-hmm. each tier at each tier and kind of see like this is where people kind of were. You know, the information that we have tells us one thing. Everybody who we would consider to be an expert or everybody who should be willing to spend money to have their opinions validated by playing the NFBC <laughs> has access to the same information roughly and probably is interpreting the tea leaves in roughly the same way. So what we're doing today then is we're picking up the guys that the information was very imperfect. And yeah. that's kind of why we're trying to do that because it, you know, it's more fun that way. There's no, there's no reason to argue about um, someone like Anthony Rendon or like, michael conforto who had some of the smallest differences in expert ranks this year yeah right Um, well i think when you're doing ranks and i've I've, i don't do ranks um but i think when you're doing ranks years ago yeah uh, (laughs) when you're doing ranks part of what you have to factor in is you know what's the most likely outcome too um and so it's not there's so many factors right there's the human element there's the math element and then there's the is it more like I think everybody universally at the beginning of this year, whether they were in on Vlad or not, would have said it's more likely that Mike Trout will finish uh, as a more productive fantasy player than than Vlad this year. That's a more likely outcome. It doesn't mean it's a guaranteed outcome. None of this stuff means it's a no, guaranteed yeah, yeah, yeah. outcome. So um, it's you know it's very easy to nitpick, but uh, it's anybody who's trying to it's, tell the future is gonna is gonna be wrong. <laughs> it's very funny to say that. Um, we are we're very certain that like 65 percent of the time trout was going to yeah. be better and that's really what it is is like um we like the confidence there is like we are very very certain what trout's error bars are we are very uncertain about vlad's error bars right sure and based off of that um you know we try to run it these simulations you know if you're on earth 38 maybe things look different but here on earth 42 or wherever we are yeah right um the numbers were pretty clear um the most probable outcome is that player a trout i guess in this case is better than player b so you take player a, b player a um right because that's what information tells you to do if you're trying to optimize your odds of winning now we can kind of set a whole bunch of those like caveats aside and um so yeah, I think let's actually talk about these tiers really quickly, just so we can kind of like Definitely. make sure yeah. you guys know what in this. So I picked these out, um, kind of with uh, clickbaity headlines, very much <laughs> um, in mind, as much as like actual groupings. Uh, what it is, I went through the fantasy pros expert rankings and I looked for people in different ranges, essentially, um, who stood out in like the standard deviation of the ranks, which basically just tells you like how wide the spread is between the experts. And I figured that's a really solid stand in for how much we agreed or disagreed. Um, Now, players who've been hurt. And so like rankings may not have been adjusted to reflect that. I kind of roughly excluded from this conversation because I really wanted to make sure that we were arguing pretty much exclusively about differences in opinion about how talented someone is. Yeah. Going into the draft day, like Carlos Carrasco, right? If somebody didn't move him yeah. as a result of yeah. his injury, you're going to have this really wide variance. That's not Zach really Gallen, what we're trying to talk Luke about Voigt. here. Yeah, right. Yeah. Those are guys who stood out, and I had to remind myself, oh, yeah, I didn't have him for a reason. And Yeah, right. So exactly. Those guys are kind of mostly separate from this. There are some other people who are kind of in there. Um, and I think one of the guys that I brought up, it kind of fits into that rank in that, like, anyway, but I wanted to make sure I threw him in because... It's kind of intrinsic to who he is. So the first tier, uh, I call this the somebody has to rebound tier. Uh, This is like picks one through 25. We're just looking at the first two rounds, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, this is like typically the range where we say that like you don't win your league from drafting here you only lose it mm-hmm. and i wanted to look at a few of the guys that people were concerned you would be losing your league by drafting sure figure out how that went uh tier two is kind of like the calling your shot tier as i called it uh these are the these are kind of like the guys who we're hoping are going to win us our league because either they're a good value or they could they could return first round plus value right um tier three the 51 to 100 these are like the what kind of broken are they tier of players <laughs> who have obvious flaws of some sort um that led to them being kind of all over the place in rankings and i, I thought there was an interesting process differences there um as you can guys as you can see i hope we're going to continue to kind of expand out how big these buckets are as you mm-hmm. get farther away right. uh, so then tier four is pick 100 to 200 um the differences between the pick 100 and 200 is big value-wise or maybe even smaller than the difference between pick 50 and pick 100. So, um, yeah, these are kind of like the who is he tier. We're like we're not 100% sure who someone is as a player. And um, these are like the true talent arguments where yeah. some people might think that they're getting a top 50 player at pick 150. And finally, I just lumped everyone after that into like the why are we arguing tier <laughs> after pick 200, because at the end of the day, those are in a lot of leagues going to be pretty cheap guys. So having a strong opinion on a three or four dollar player uh, just doesn't. Yeah, mean I mean, they're mostly dart throws, right? And and just yeah. because your dart hit the target doesn't necessarily mean that you were more brilliant yeah, than the anything. person who missed. It's just dumb luck at that point in a lot of cases. Yeah. Yeah, I would say blindfolded darts often. Oh, that sounds very dangerous. Um, all right, why don't we start, obviously, <laughs> yes. then with tier one, uh, numbers one through 25. Who would you like to talk about first in terms of somebody that mu- they, they have to turn it around, right? Yeah, so the guys I, I threw it together here, uh, Christian Yelich, Cody Bellinger, Francisco Lindor. Mm-hmm. Um, two of these three guys have had some pretty big injury problems all year, and Francisco Lindor has had some you're telling me he hasn't been injured problems yeah. a little bit this year. Um, going into draft day, it seemed as though if you were um, picking at the back end of the first round, it seemed required to get one of these guys at the turn uh, because you're like telling yourself he he can't be who he was last year, right? Um, yeah, this is somebody who's definitely going to return first round value and I'm getting them in the second round. Um, so yeah, I, and if yeah. I package them at the turn with somebody who I did get in the first round, I'm off to a really good start because I got two first rounders. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, that's the thinking, right? You know, Yelich was going top, well, like three last year. Uh, Bellinger mm-hmm. was like five, six. Lindor was like six, seven, maybe a little bit later than that. It seemed. Um, yeah, I think he had an ankle injury at some point that dropped him down. But everyone's like, oh, yeah, he was essentially a first rounder. If you can t- stomach that he misses three weeks or whatever. Right. Yeah. And then last year, they all didn't perform, basically. Uh, so I, I like to throw these guys together, obviously, for that reason. But, you know, we talked a moment ago about how dumb luck and things are out of control. You know, the people who like to like claim that injuries are coming or, like, say they know thing about injury regression just love to scream about players like Bellinger. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of start with him because I think there's not a whole lot to say here, necessarily. I do have, like, a couple of comments, but... I just mm-hmm. want to say that, like, if you are, like, spending a whole lot of your time yelling about how someone made a huge mistake here, you're not really doing analysis, I would say. Mm. Um, but I do think he, I think Bellinger makes for an interesting, what are we watching for kind of study. Um, a thing that I'm, I'm kind of, like, pulling out that still tells me, like, something's a little bit off. 
and that like i'm scared about him in redraft at least um you know his max exit velocity this year still hasn't hit the heights that it has hit in past seasons he's sitting at like 106.7 is the max he's hit this year whereas every other year he's topped 110 now he's got another half of a season to do that right um but you know there are some other concerning signs like currently his uh his whiff rates are considerably up um his strikeout rates like sitting in like 27.8 or 27.7 percent which is 10 points higher than it's been for the past two years and that's coming from him missing more in the zone so it seems like his bat's just not moving the same which of course his shoulder's probably still recovering a little bit right so there are some things that we're probably going to want to like do some fun like split searches at the end of the year see how he's looking in like october september end of the year um if it'd be really cool to see him have like a good postseason or something like that yeah um because you know i just i just want the guy to be healthy and good because i want everybody to be healthy and good especially when they're not like <laughs> at the lindor payday you know yeah, yeah you yeah, know yeah, and it's right. like he deserves to based off of all the value he's provided to his team basketball years you know he deserves to be healthy enough to get paid so uh yeah i don't think there's a whole lot of analysis that, that you need to do about koei bolger's first half of the season um, you just kind of need to recognize that this happens. Um, sure. Yeah. Did you did you end up with Bellinger on any squads? I didn't. Um, I, I'll be honest. Um, uh, I, I I definitely fall victim to uh, guys who have burned me in the past, and I think I drafted mm. him highly um, after he was really good. Uh, he he suffered from a sophomore slump, didn't he? Wasn't he one yeah, of those guys? Yeah. I think I he had him the year he was way, way down. Yeah. And I, I just, um, and then he came back and he was amazing. And mm-hmm. it just, it, it's when you have, when you have a, a guy who comes up and is really good, then he's really bad. Then he's really good again. You have to kind of decide which Bellinger is the real Bellinger. So um, a lot of people will be very optimistic about that and they'll be in. Um, I, I, it was hard for me to not be cynical about Bellinger. Um, just, just because of that. I, if if you're one of the things I try and avoid having to do during a, a, a fantasy season is play a lot of whack-a-mole um, because I, I always do it wrong when I'm chasing who's going to be good this week or at this time, instead of kind of being able to have a, a strong core of people, I, they might not be sexy, but I know who they are and I can kind of move pieces around that way. Um, trying to catch people who happen to be having a hot season or a hot streak and making sure that they're in my lineup when they're good and on my bench when they're not, I always have it the other <laughs> yeah. way around. Yeah, it's, and, and so it's not I, work. I, I, t- I tend to, I, th- there's enough talent around, guys at the top there where I feel like I can kind of go away from somebody who just makes me a little uncomfortable and still feel like I made a good pick. Um, Mm -hmm. I did wind, I have Yelich in a lot of places though. And Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, with him, uh, I I went the other way and I kind of was like, you know, he was hurt. It was uh, a short season last year. It felt like the Brewers kind of as a team didn't do as well. And I thought, well, maybe they just kind of all agreed. We're going to go out there. We're going to try and not get hurt. We're going to try and keep our skills sharp. If we don't win, we don't win. Um, maybe it was hard for them as a team to get their head in it. Maybe, I don't know. I have no idea. I'm not in the locker room, right? I'm not, I'm not a beat reporter. I'm not privy to all of that sort of stuff, but Mm -hmm. it seemed to make Mm -hmm. sense that this is a guy who was really good, uh, for more than just one year. He was an MVP. Um, Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. in a 60 game season, he just kind of was like, nah, and he was going to come back. And, uh, you know, he's had 
he's been kind of both of those guys this year. You know, he's uh, he's turned into that whack-a-mole I try and avoid. So, mm-hmm. you know, I tried to zig uh, instead of zag, and I wind up wound up right in, in the same place I didn't want to be. But again, that's that's what happens when you're talking about people. These are not pre-programmed robots. It's not a an MLB the show game where an algorithm is determining the level of success. And, and, you know, if you play a season with these guys in a computer simulation, they're probably going to come out to being just about who they're supposed to be because the computer is programmed to make them that way. <laughs> so it, it's, it just yeah. isn't the same thing. Right. And we're talking about real people on the, on the field. So that's, that's kind of where I was at with the, with, in terms of these guys, I don't have any Lindor. Um, although yeah. I really do think that this is a real, a real buy low opportunity for him. Um, yeah, he's kind of you're been a, the same guy the thing. Yeah. statistically for the past three years in terms of a lot of his you know strikeouts. They're actually slightly up this year. He's like sitting about 17 when he'd been like a 14 or so, somewhere between like 13 and 15 for the past like couple of seasons before that. But his walks are also up. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know if he'll like, ever be first yeah. round, but I, I definitely yeah. think he'll be better than what yeah. he's been th- so yeah, far this year. Th- the hope was that like better team the better teammates uh mm-hmm. will mean that uh the drop off and like how easy it is to hit like those pulled home runs that he had been hitting down the lines in cleveland would like even things out and uh his teammates have been hurt instead of good um yeah and he's he's also just gotten better as the year's gone on uh i think that coming into this year you should have known i think probably if you're like looking at who he's been that he had been a guy who kind of played above his head in terms of like talent to production for a couple years Mm -hmm. and part of that was just that he really really had optimized his like power to really get out of the park in cleveland and he's just not that player but a fun thing though is that um as a defender he's still like basically as good as it gets um in terms of being like fun to watch he's still really great and also he was drafted 10 years ago this week did you know that no i did not he he was he was part of like the the monster stupid dumb good 2011 draft um the uh the good gentleman at the uh the ringer mlb show did like a redraft of um the 2011 mlb draft and mm-hmm. you know they the, they were able to basically draft a full first round of guys who were like good mlb players yeah. uh, which is like incredible like the first 15 picks were all guys who have been multiple time all stars that just doesn't happen like, yeah yeah so, yeah i just want to say like crazy crazy um that cleveland was able to pick him up in the eighth overall pick and like he was just the real deal and uh yeah so i'm hoping yeah hoping they guys turn around so yeah i think i just kind of like to look back at those guys for for laughs nothing too crazy there uh tier two is i think where we really have a lot of the the like league defining arguments in some different ways yep um so the guys i picked are all kind of following the back half of that actually so uh that was kind of just a fluke of i wanted to talk mostly about hitters in this range because pitching has other variables that are affecting how good people have been more so uh, at this level and smaller sample sizes at this point in the season yeah i guess i guess to agree as well yeah because still it's it's almost been like two different seasons for pitching uh yeah yeah well that's true but for for pitching you know it's like the hitters are just facing all of the pitchers the pitchers are changing so um yeah the three guys i'm I'm highlighting here uh are all different types of bets that were um you know an opportunity for someone to try to win the league essentially so these are all guys going about in the 40s uh vlad jr um modesty and arnado Mm -hmm. um now i think you can guess which of these guys is winning the most leagues right now and which one of these (laughs) is probably losing people the most leagues right now um 
but I kind of thought it was really interesting. They were all going in some pretty similar pick ranges. Um, I have a Mondesi on at least one of my teams. I don't have any Arenado shares, though. I think I'm about to trade for him in one league. Mm. Um, I'm hoping. I'm hoping I get that done. Um, <laughs> don't sound I, too I, eager. They might be listening. Uh, Eh, we'll, we'll see. Um, <laughs> I'll try to get them tonight. Um, so yeah, I, these were like very different paths. With Vlad, the question was, you know, can he make the leap? With right. Montesi, is like, can he just be consistently healthy for 140 games? With Arenado, it was going to be, who is he if he's not playing at Coors? Right. But also not not playing at Coors, you know? Uh, or I guess how, how do I say that? Like not have, having the Coors hangover all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he went to you know my my least favorite home ballpark for someone to have because the sight lines and everything in the in uh, in the other beer stadium in St. Louis <laughs> are just horrendous during the day for a lot of players and lead to some really bad offensive play and also they kind of just suck in St. Louis separately. So, um, so yeah, these are some different pathways I think for people to be wrong as well. Um, so which one of these sorts of like mistakes, if we're going to call this mistakes, because like any of these three guys could have totally busted really bad. Yeah. Do you feel like you're most likely to end up making when you're drafting? For me personally, it's mm-hmm. probably like I was talking about the Vladdy uh, mistake and giving up the draft capital on, on the hope that he returns it. Now, obviously he's returned it and more, um, but I, I definitely saw saw a path where it just took him maybe another 60 games to, to get into that groove. And if it takes him half a season to start being the, I always believed in the talent. I I just didn't know exactly when it was going to pop up. Right. And if you drafted him in, was it the fifth or the sixth round, you know, uh, where he was going, I think at the time, um, you know, if he, if he was going to do what he's doing, you're, you're making out like a bandit. But Mm -hmm. if you, if he's, returning you know 10th 11th 12th round value at that point with all the other people who are around Mm -hmm. him at that stage of the draft you know you're probably not going to get through through a first half of the season to his breakout in the second half uh you're Mm -hmm. probably moving him you're probably maybe even dropping him depending upon how much he's hurting your team so uh, for me, that was a really hard trigger to pull, and I didn't as much as I really wanted to. I never did, and some of it also has to do with where I was picking in some of my snakes. I just, yeah, yeah, it, and he, chance. I would have had to have reached even further than where he was going ADP wise to ensure that I got him. So I just never felt comfortable doing that. For me, Mondesi is the easiest pass because I don't draft for steals generally. I, I just hate doing that now for people like me a lot of times they'll take a mondesi because they don't want to have to worry about steals afterwards so they'll take mondesi Mm -hmm. and and now i don't have to worry about steals or they'll take a couple of elite closers earlier than everybody else now i don't have to worry about saves for me that's an easy pass um i had drafted him really early uh a year or two ago um and uh i was willing to do it there um, because really early then I'm, I'm doing air quotes for those of you at home really early was a different version of really early uh, was this year. So that was an easy pass and Arenado, um, you know, again, I, I understand why people might've had some concerns with him moving to a park that's far less hitter friendly. Um, it was a significant move uh, in terms of that. It, it wasn't like he went from a, a plus park to a neutral park. He went from a plus mm-hmm. to a minus, right? Um, yeah. And, and anytime and you make a move, not good teammates either. Generally, <laughs> that's yeah. the other thing. Um, you, whenever you make a move, I think that's 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 uh, 
that's the human toll, right? When you move your house, that's a stressful thing. <laughs> it, it, it takes a toll on you. And when you go to work, your head might not be in the game, right? So, you know, moving stadiums, moving teams, moving uh, from, again, from a friendly park to a less friendly park, those are all things that can easily weigh on somebody's mind. So I've been very pleasantly surprised at what he's been able to do. Okay, here's one for you. Among those three players, guess who has the most steals right now? Steals. <laughs> I'm going to say Vladdy. Yep, he has two. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, no, so, again, I, I don't... So I, it's, you're not drafting Arenado for steals. You're certainly drafting Mondesi there to try and win, win in steals. And, and there's also a big difference too, and I'll make this distinction and then I'll stop talking and let you kind of kind of go through <laughs> these guys uh, from your point of view. But I don't play um, really straight Roto. Um, yeah, yeah. I do, you can punt steals in a lot of formats. I imagine yeah, so if you're doing head-to-head, a guy like Mondesi who steals like two ba- bags one week and 17 the next, <laughs> really, I mean, it, it, he does, he's like that. He So yeah. he, he doesn't help you win one week, and so that's kind of like a loss there. And then the next week when he steals 17, he wins you the category by 10. You don't need that. That's excess. So that's another reason why for me it's easier. If you're in a if you're in a season long roto, I can understand more why you would be willing to invest because you just plug him and you know that by the end of the season he's going to help you finish pretty highly in steals as long as he's not injured. Which now I think a thing you're overlooking about him is he does have four home runs through his first. 38 plate appearances this year mm-hmm. uh so he does look like he's on track to hit about 70 home runs in a normal <laughs> season if you're playing full-time you've really overlooked that he's an yeah power sorry well. i buried the lead um, there. no he actually always has kind of sneakily been really good power wise yeah I, I, he sneaks up so high i'm not anti-power um, but i don't think you're drafting him that high for the power you're going to get from him especially since power yeah, yeah. is not that hard <laughs> to find right obviously yeah, um, yeah. the The idea is that he's like not Gerard Dyson, right? Yeah. Um, I I think that the takeaways here are actually like some really interesting kind of like wins for like modeling for Arenado. The guy who he is this year is kind of who we expected him to be in a lot of facets. The batting average has gone down. Um, if you're looking at a Statcast page, it's lying to you because his strikeout rate is so good that his hard rate looks is going to look bad or his yeah. rate is going to look bad because right, right. he's just making more contact than it might be weekly hit ish but that can still be an rbi and a strikeout cannot be in an rbi or it can, right. all, it can still be a hit which gets him on base which a strikeout cannot be so well, if he's hitting stuff uh you know 92 93 94 consistently none of those are going to show up as barrels yeah, yeah, that's the whole yeah. thing. This we've talked about this so many times before. So I just want to say, if you're checking back in on these guys, make sure you're doing the smart things you were supposed to be doing before. Uh, yeah, so th- I think that personally, the bias that I typically have in this range is to draft someone who is like Arenado, except he hasn't moved and isn't yeah. as good. Yeah. Right. I'm actually drafting in that forty range. Like, I, well, I have Kyle Tucker on some teams, but the people who I'd be likely to be drafting in this range are the people who are more like Pete Alonso, who, who went yeah, 46. Right. I actually got a lot of Aaron Judge because I thought he was good injury value. Uh, he has been. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's that's typically what I'm doing in this range is I'm not trying to win because I know more about baseball. I'm trying to win because I know more about drafting still at this point. Um, so um, let's actually start to look at some of those people that you had to get right because you know things about baseball. Um, so the what kind of broken are they tier? Uh, Jordan, I guess I have Steven Strasburg on here, though I do think injury struggles are, are, have been part of that. Um, 
side note though, I have inc- decided to include them anyway. Yeah. Because everybody knew about that and it's like yeah, it right. wasn't different. So right, it was just right. kind of always is he going to be injured. The same thing for Jordan Alvarez. He kind of shows up as an injury question, but everyone kind of knew who he was. Uh, those are like one half of the question here. Um, the other half is like the guys who were kind of good, but are mostly valuable because they're second baseman. Uh, and that's uh, Kevin Biggio and Brandon Lau. Yeah. Um, in this part of the draft, you're picking people who were flawed. Um, and I thought it was really interesting to kind of interrogate what kinds of flaws uh, are going in here. I do want to call out another couple of guys who like, actually ended up not being the most controversial by this method mm-hmm. um who are still worth talking about hypothetically jd martinez 61st yeah. in like this the consensus rankings um he was like pretty normal in terms of like how dis- disagreement we were uh corbin burns similar sort of thing i remember arguing with uh nick after doing my um <laughs> pl mock and he was like man i just don't get Corbin Burns, he's a two-pitch pitcher. I don't get why you like it. And I was like, I like cutters, and I think he has more than two pitches. And sometimes I've been right, and I think there's been some <laughs> days where Nick's been right as well this year for him. But I'm going to take that as a dub. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of other guys who kind of fall into these confines. Um, now, I know I was kind of like aggressive personally about Brandon Lau, uh, but not in Yahoo leagues where like second base is really dumb deep. Yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> um, right. I'm, again, I'm kind of curious. Again, what, what are your faults? Uh, my, my faults, obviously. Again, second base uh, love for Brandon Lau in particular is its own thing. But I always tend to think that um, I know more than people do about injuries, uh, and I don't. Yeah. So, um, a guy like Strasburg, I was like, oh yeah, I know more than y'all. He's hurt. Whereas for your on Alvarez, I was hard avoiding that and not learning the right lesson. So where do you kind of tend to fall on that sort of stuff? So I I really wanted uh, Jordan Alvarez, um, and I Smart. I read um, somebody who was talking about the injuries, and I think there's a Twitter exchange, and I was really nervous about. That. I don't like investing in people who have been hurt before in ways that are likely to reoccur. I think that way mm-hmm. too often we label somebody as injury prone, but they've had three different freak things happen. That doesn't make them injury prone. Carlos Correa, I think, is a guy yeah. that's not mold. Uh, so, but somebody who's had consistent knee issues, that's a little bit more troubling. But uh, uh, the person, I, and I, I do wish I remember who it was that I was speaking with, um, was in that, like I think, physical therapy realm and was like, no, no, it's it's different. It's different. And I was like, okay. Um, so I, I here's where it's a shortcoming. I was willing to invest in him regardless of the fact that he was going to clog up a util spot. Um, which in you, you, uh, Yahoo isn't as big of a deal because you get two. But in leagues where you only have one, it does really mess with your flexibility, not only in terms of the rest of your draft, but also in, in your roster construction. So the fact that he's now outfield eligible <laughs> in many places is absolutely fantastic. Um, I also loved Biggio, and I I, I don't know why. Uh, and then the more I learned and the more I read and the more I talked to people, the more it was like, yeah, he's he's probably more valuable as a real baseball player than a fantasy guy, and mm-hmm. I just didn't want to hear it. So um, that that's kind of the thing. Sometimes I do, I, for some reason, I just kind of get attached to a player, and I can't really justify why. Uh, and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. I, I included him here and I think he makes the cutoff here almost exclusively because of his second base eligibility mm-hmm. and the fact that people were really scared about how second base is kind of shook out this year, you know? Um, 
I don't think people are willing to be the team that goes into April 1st with a bottom four second baseman. Mm. Um, and it's really interesting because people are willing to have the worst catcher. Uh, yeah, all right. Year. Way all year. People are willing to have the worst, you know, you, you don't realize it, the worst of the last outfielders in your position. Yeah. But nobody wants to have the worst second baseman when the fact of the matter is that some shortstop out there is going to get second base eligibility mm-hmm. and probably some third baseman. And, and some, some utility some guy, you know. Yeah, who... yeah it, it's going to happen. Um. And further, like, look at how many people who play second base have been good this year that we didn't even, like, have on our radars. Like, if you are willing to, like, watch baseball and watch trends for the first three weeks, you can get yourself a pretty good second baseman. Uh, And you'll be wrong sometimes, but paying the premium there to not worry about it is just a thing that I think a lot of people do. And Biggio snuck up. And how good has he been this year? He's got 200... uh, 50 plate appearances roughly right now mm-hmm. um it's not like a full full season but like a full full half season to that yeah sense. yeah <laughs> but like it's a lot of plate appearances and he's got three steals and six home runs yeah he has not been on base all that much uh 330 obp for someone that we kind of like regarded as like a, a walk god well he's yeah and sorry, a big part of his down. draw was yeah. that he was going to be on base surrounded by people who were going to drive him in yeah, and then yeah. he's just fallen to the bottom of the lineup, which is a worry that I had. Yeah. But this is all kind of just like a, we need to know like what we're choosing to do and kind of learn this lesson now, look at our teams, what they look like now, and what our deficiencies are. Um, I think that the the possibility where he kind of takes a step forward in strikeouts instead of taking a step back, you know, he's like a little more aggressive, and then maybe that raw power of his. I think that oh, I think that those kind of like projecting onto a player sort of situations do pay off sometimes. Um, one of the things in particular, though, that I want to draw a distinction between, like, his kind of hit and, like, the Vlad kind of hit. Uh, with Vlad, there was not, like, a trade-off he was necessarily making uh, in order to access the level he was at. Um, he was not, like, selling out in some sort of way that he would have to undo in order sure. to, like, get better. Right. He crushed baseballs. He needed to crush them slightly differently. And he'd been successful at multiple different levels previously. Right. With B- right. Biggio, right? A a central part of who he is is his willingness to wait and his appearing to be able to hit the ballpark like really hard is in large part because he's only choosing to swing at the best pitches out there. Yeah. You don't keep your contact skills if you start swinging better or swinging more. You tend to lose them. Um, Yeah. So I just want to say like if we're trying to project that onto a player, we're going to have problems. There were also just Several other people who are kind of fit into that mold. Now, I bring up Lau in here and that he's another very broken player who has not consistently been great this year and probably hasn't earned back how much I paid for him in a lot of drafts. <laughs> um, and I was probably also just kind of like hoping he'd be that sort of guy who could hit like 35 home runs in a year. Well, what's he on pace for? Actually, he's not far off of that. Um, he's just been his flawed self. And I think some people are willing to live, live with that and some people haven't been. Um, and I think a thing that I forgot is... Well, he wasn't the only guy available uh, that could have done those sorts of things. So yeah, he's kind of been um, about as productive when he makes contact as he's ever been. He's struck out considerably more this year than last year, um, but he's hit 21 home runs in the first half. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would, on the whole, call that like a general win if I'm not looking at his average. Yeah. Well, or, right or if you're not looking Just at who you else you could have had in that spot. 
that yeah, I think that's a bigger yeah, piece sure. is that the people who got what he's doing later on got a better piece in that oh, yeah, spot. That's, you know, that's obviously the, the hindsight. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to see who else is kind of running. Like Matt Olson was going to pick before him. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> pretty good. Um, but there's a lot of other guys who've just been really bad in that same range. Now, Altuve, 72, way better. Um, yeah. I have Altuve on a tape chamber too as well, because, um, this is something I don't say out loud, except in like very kind company. Um, <laughs> I'm far, far more willing to roster Astros players who have been involved with this cheating scandal than some other people because, and I think this is important, um, I have a lot of friends who root for the Astros because I grew up in Texas and I just feel a little bit bad <laughs> for them. <laughs> it's strictly that. Um, now, I know that cheating is bad. I kind of think everyone does it, so that's part of, part of the other thing. But I watch so many Astros games just because I have friends who like want to know what's going on with the Astros and yeah. want to watch baseball. So I've watched a lot of Astros yeah, games. Yeah, there you lately. go. I don't, listen, I, there are certain things, and I certainly don't want to pull too hard on this thread. There are certain things about not wanting to have guys on your team because of who they are and what they've done that um, I I completely understand. And then mm-hmm. if you, if that's not the way you want to play the game, I understand that to a point too. Um, so not to get into a debate about, you know, the, the super outlier situations. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, listen, if people want to want to hate on Altuve because he was part of, of doing what he did, I get it. I, I think it was mm-hmm. I think it was a bad thing to do. It's a bad look for the game. It's a bad look for the kids who are admiring those players and, and said, well, he did it. I can I could cheat too. rules are made to be broken kind of a thing. And and then there's people who are like, well, OK, it's over and done and and we're moving on and I want to win my fantasy league. So I. I'm gonna I'm gonna put Altuve on my team, so I get that. Let's move into uh, tier four and five. Let's maybe what we can do is pick like a player who represents the concept here and do mm-hmm. like one player in each of those tiers uh, to that kind of sell the sell the uh, the concept. I want to talk about uh, in tier four. This these are all pitchers I picked in tier four, and there's actually several pitchers in tier five because I think that the disagreements about pitchers that happen later on are more informative about our biases in some ways and also just really chaotic and fun <laughs> so that the who is he really tier tier uh patrick corbin uh kevin gossman sandy alcantara and aaron savale now that is a bunch of different ways that you could have landed i feel uh mm-hmm. gossman and alcantara have been great corbin has been not great and <laughs> yes um and savale has been not what around sometimes yeah, yeah. not he hasn't what really been people anything. drafted him to yeah. be yeah now uh a really chaotic thing that i did last year at the end of the year is he uh, he had just a stinker of a start and i dropped him uh, in this one league there's a keeper league and i picked up um musgrove mm. who i was able to keep for three dollars instead of savale <laughs> for one and it's worked out uh because i i believed more in musgrove's skills and i was like mm, the pirates are gonna do something with him aren't they and then they did and i happen to be right um but there's all sorts of other things. Like I had, I dropped Gossman. I dropped on Contra in one league that was like like a year and a half ago. Sure. So there's a lot of different things people have done with these players at different points. The thing that I think is interesting about all of these guys is there were deep questions about exactly what they were and what they were bringing to the table coming into this year, either because small sample sizes in their careers, period, or small sample sizes at a recently attained level of skill. Okay. Um. And I I think that, like, for all of them, they've all kind of been the player they were last year to a degree. Now, Savali was playing above his head last year, and mm. I think some of the advanced numbers bared that out. But well, basically, his defense if you just, got worse, too. 
Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, and his health has not been great, right? Uh, either. Yeah. So he's kind of like a. I just kind of threw him in as another like. We still don't know the answer to that, and that's one outcome. Yeah. Uh, some of these other guys, though, it's interesting to know that like when a guy shows you who he is, we can actually kind of model that pretty well and kind of tend to believe it. And the skills seemed like they were changing, and they were. Yeah. Um, for a lot of these guys, um, and I just I just find it really interesting that so far this year, like. Once we had like a couple weeks on these guys, they've stayed who they are. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Like, did you throw darts at any of these guys or anyone different in this range? Um. Uh, I was all in on Savali on draft day. Um. I, I. I. If you look at what the Indians have done with their arms, I think it's easier. You know, all things being equal, I think that's a good tiebreaker. Um. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've I grabbed Gossman. I think in a league or two off waivers, basically mm-hmm. to stream him. And he was yep. good, and I was like, well, we'll yeah, give him one like more. And then he was good again, and I was like, okay, I guess I'm not dropping him. Um, I don't have any Patrick Corbin, I don't think, but I also don't have any Alcantara either. So, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, these are the things that happen. you got to make decisions. And I think that's that's a piece that we're not talking about too is the add drops element of this. If you have short benches um, or you're in a league where there's a lot of streaming going on and you feel like you've got to do the same to keep up, you're going to wind up dropping guys who are, are eventually good. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't make you dumb. It's just the nature of what you have to do to kind of play in that league. And it's unfortunate that you weren't the one who happened to have him when he was great. And you were like, oh, I'll hang on to him. That's just how yeah. it works. Yeah. I think for all of these guys, there is either like a clear change in who they were in terms of skills or like a clear change, like, you know, in like the decisions they're making so for corbin he lost fila and then he was less good that's it yeah gossman gained some velo then he was better and also his i think he just got some better coaching as well Mm -hmm. at the giants that was he's still that same person we were able to tell though pretty quickly last year that these people were had changed and this year we were able to evaluate really really quickly that they kind of were the same guys so i'm kind of using them as a tale for like um imperfect information is one of the reasons why people can be slipping down the ranks as well um, yes. if we think they might be good and if you're like trying to figure out if you're trading for someone or not like at this point believe that gossman's a good pitcher like yeah. believe it alcantara yeah. is a good pitcher believe it probably and unless we're presented evidence to the contrary that should be the case further if someone has recently started doing something different like not putting super glue in the ball or whatever <laughs> um we're gonna have to start to believing who they are pretty quickly. There are some guys who actually been have hurt, have been hurt, haven't come back yet, and we're gonna have to believe that pretty quickly. Yeah. So I just want to kind of use these guys as a reminder for how quickly those things have changed. Uh, so I, you know, I'm gonna be wrong in people in this sort of mold so often, and everyone else is too. So I think they're also just kind of fun as like a, <laughs> hey, remember what you could have had if you just hung on to in your keeper league? Yeah, right. All right, what about tier five? And this is. I just wanted to just grab a couple guys at the end that I think I had heard a few arguments on or that I just know are people that have had opinions. The one hitter in here, and this is a tip of the cap to Scott Chu, who I love to disagree with. I've talked about this before, is uh, <laughs> Rake Cronenworth, um, who is good at baseball. Um, I also threw in Robbie Ray, who is good at baseball, and um, Casey Mize, who is questionably good at baseball. I, I still hear a lot of chirping about him in the PL Discord. Uh, I only wanted to guy, kind of throw guys in here who were actually good uh, because I yeah. feel like there's no point in a guy who could have been wrong being wrong, uh, being or a guy who could have been bad being bad. Um, right. It happens. Right. 
they're still good baseball yeah, outside players. 200 yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you shouldn't have expectations of getting a significant return that being said there's almost always somebody from that group who does yeah yeah and um i think robbie ray's i think the most interesting yeah player. how many times yeah. have you rostered robbie ray in your, a lot um, in i have actually career? been in on him a lot um you know, and, and there are times where even when he wasn't good, even the strikeouts were still worth it. Um, I'm, I'm He's the one that's the most surprising to me on this list. It's oh, yeah. like he's a different dude. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing is we also didn't know that this could even be possible. And then week one, week two, he just seems like he's a different guy who somehow throws baseballs into the zone. He's still been that guy. Um, yeah. Which has been crazy. Um yeah, I, I think that it's the, the balls the, out of the zone that were the <laughs> the the yeah. problem for him. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the the, the there being too many of yes, them. Yes, exactly. It, he's just not doing that anymore, and the waste pitchers just aren't there. And also, like, I think he'd also kind of been a guy who, uh, because he wasn't controlling what he was throwing into the zone all that well, he'd often throw them where you really don't want them. Yeah. And he still is kind of doing that to a degree, but well, let me ask you this quickly yeah. and I don't want to belabor the point too much, but with a guy like Robbie Ray who has been what he's been for a long time, suddenly doing something different. Is that something that you like, do you think this is an actual conscious decision that's leading to this? Or do you think it's just kind of falling into place for him and it might be a fleeting three quarters of a season, full season, half season sort of thing. Are, are you buying into this being a new Robbie Ray, like the so, Phoenix rising from the ashes or, or is this like getting out of Phoenix rising? Oh yeah. The right. Oh, is boy, this, wow. That's a, that's a one thing. <laughs> all of the moons of Jupiter lining up for him for a little bit and it's going to kind of revert back. Okay. So he's doing something different mm -hmm. and he is doing something different that is leading to results that are different. Okay. Not he. So like when we say that he's walking fewer people, it's not that suddenly people are chasing yeah, out of the zone result, a whole lot not more. a decision, right? No. Unless right? you can point to the decision that's leading to that outcome. The thing is his zone rate has gone up 10% this year. Okay. He was a, in 2015, 16, and then 17, I guess. He was 50%, 50%, and 57% zone rate. And in the past three years, where he's been like increasingly chaotic and not good before this year, 18, 19, 20, he was at 56, 54, 53% zone rate. That's why he was walking the entire planet. Sure. I mean, this year, so he's sitting I'm, at a 53% zone rate. I'm going to push back here just it. a little bit because I still that's still a number. It's not an explanation. Well, it's a choice. He's choosing to throw the ball so to the what zone, you're saying, even when the consequences could be contact. What you're saying is that he's always had the ability to control where it goes. He's just now choosing, or that he's done something demonstrative that's allowed him to have better control over what he's throwing. Well, I think, think about it this way. Um, if you're aiming for the zone versus you're aiming for the edge of the zone, you know, I think if you're aiming for the edge of the zone and you're wasting, that's gonna that's an expectation that the batter like the batter can know. It's like you've been doing this a lot. Well, if you lose control or feel of a pitch, you're aiming for the middle of the zone. Maybe it goes outside the zone, but the batter is expecting you to throw in the zone. Yeah, that's what you've been doing all year. They're more inclined to swing. Uh, so the swing rate for uh, opposing hitters has gone up. He's not. It's not like he's getting called strikes and stuff. He's throwing pitches that people should be swinging at. Uh, he's always been a guy who like generates a ton of whiffs. Still the same case. When people are swinging, they are not hitting it. So he's a guy who probably should have been throwing the ball in the zone. 
to a degree because he's got good stuff, right? His fastball as a lefty is at 95 miles an hour. That's really good. Yeah. Left-handed pitchers don't typically throw that hard. I guess what I'm and getting at is it seems... There is fastball Vila being up from two years ago. That's another thing I just want to just briefly say. Well, that, and that that's actually important. Uh, it seems odd to me that he's just had the ability to choose to throw more strikes in the zone and opted not to. So I'm mm-hmm. wondering if there was maybe some a mechanical adjustment or mm-hmm. um, something like that that's allowed him to have more control. Uh, so I'm not trying to be a a, a pain no, in your butt. I, I, I'm it's, it's a, really it's a trying to question. dig into, like, okay, so we can see that he's throwing it more in the zone, but why? In Dumb luck, or um, or like an actual choice, or a, a new skill, I, I would, or a mechanical I would change? It's, it's from a, like the coaches telling him, "Hey, try to put your slider in particular." You can see his slider zone rate is up considerably this okay. year. That's a choice he's making. Yeah, I want to say just this digression we're on. All of this is completely unpredictable on draft day. Right, 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 right. Nobody right. should have known this, right? Um, his changeup um, is being thrown out of the zone more, but that's the only pitch that's being thrown um, outside the zone more. His his curveball uh, from 40 to 47%. His slider from 33 to 40%. His four-seamer, 49 to 62. I do wonder if that's mechanical and not just choice, but it might just, it might, it might be a little be bit of both. both. You know, yeah, right. once you Increased have confidence, yeah. yes, you do it. Once you have more control and you feel like it's working, you're going to do it more. It doesn't sound like those changes would all come from just dumb luck. So that's good. That's good to know. It's, yeah, yeah. It's important. Yeah, no, I would assume then that there's both like, hey, you're you're unsustainably outside the zone. We got to try to do it. Mm-hmm. What sort of mechanical changes can we make for you to help you believe in what you're doing to make it happen? There've been talk about him making changes for a while. So, um, I, I I think that the broad trends that we're both kind of seeing for ourselves here, though, is that um, if someone's burned you in the past, you become kind of biased <laughs> against them. Yeah. And you know what? I am so happy for all these guys who've burned me in the past that are helping someone else because they're having good seasons. Yeah. Uh, and like the one or two guys I got to bring up this entire list that I roster at all, I'm super happy about, especially Jake Cronenworth, because he, I, I'm holding out hope that he will pitch a clean inning and relief <laughs> on purpose in a close game at one point. <laughs> but he's been so good at second base that I don't see that happening. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mess with a good thing. Um, all right. I want to do a very quick pass fail because I think we need to bring this up before we sign off. We'll we'll uh, punt off the books. We'll kick that, that particular can down the road. Um, I'm going to do this backwards from the way that we kind of drew it up before the, the episode. I'm going to I want to lead into how do you feel about uh, the games, usually exhibition games? I mean, I, I think it's been 100 percent exhibition games where they mic up the players. How in general do you feel about that process? I have a really particular set of circumstances where I really like that. Um, So like, I'm a big fan of when that happens for like outfielders in spring training games where like you get to get Joey Gallo talking about what it's been like to get back into spring training or to like do stuff. Right. Cause the ball is going to get hit to him in a pretty predictable set of circumstances. Um, you know, left-handed batter up to the plate and you get a second to read it and it's spring training. Who cares anyway? Yeah. And he kind of like can like choose to stop talking when the um, ball is like about to be on the way, but he's not involved in that process. Love that actually. I think it's a really fun uh, way to kind of like talk through spring training games where like there's a lot of dead time. Um, I don't like it when the person on the mound or maybe a guy, even a guy in the infield, I can kind of be bothered by that a little bit more because these guys have a little bit less 
rope to play with and yeah. it seems like it's more intrusive i cannot fathom the idea of having to hit baseballs while talking to another person <laughs> yeah. so <laughs> yeah i think some guys personalities line up better for it too and they're they're more entertaining yeah. they're more clever they're more able to go back and forth uh let me ask you this how do you feel about australian relievers at the end of an all-star game being mic'd up who happened to maybe have the initials lh um I feel like you're leading me on here to like a particular <laughs> endpoint. Have I ever done that to you before, Matt? Never. I don't think I've ever Never. set you up for failure nope, like never. that. Uh, I, if you didn't catch it, um, uh, listening at home or, or uh, you know wherever, um, Liam Hendricks was mic'd <laughs> at the end of the All Star game, and uh, I guess the person who's in charge of and or responsible for the bleeps. Uh, had gone home early um, and some profanity (laughs) made it on the air. (laughs) And, um, you know, on the East Coast, it was pretty late. But uh, on the West Coast, not so much. I'm sure that there were some kids who heard some choice words from Liam Hendricks. Um, Interesting point. And then uh, I'll I'll give you a chance to kind of talk a little bit about it. Um, Is that he the catcher came out at one point and he was like, you know, you're mic'd. And Liam was like, "Nah, I haven't heard him say anything all night. And I wonder whether or not that his earpiece just wasn't working. Uh, so he assumed that it, it wasn't a thing or whether it, it was working. <laughs> and he said it wasn't just because he wanted to be super entertaining and he was hoping to get some uh, choice words on the air. Um, it, I, I thought it was pretty funny, quite honestly, but I can certainly understand why Fox or our parents who are watching this thing with their, their nine-year-old wouldn't have wanted to hear what came out of his mouth. Uh, what are your thoughts? First and foremost, any nine-year-old uh, watching that baseball game has almost certainly heard worse things at their actual real-life baseball practice, <laughs> even potentially from the dad throwing batting practice. So I'm not worried about the children. The children are going to be just fine. Um, as to whether or not Liam Hendricks was doing this on purpose, I am cheering for this to be on purpose, (laughs) not the least because he had previously played on the West coast and probably pitched in a ton of the end of West coast baseball games that, you know, whichever FCC like auditor would probably, he would probably be assigned to the game who probably lives on the East coast, you know, they're not staying up that late to watch the <laughs> Oakland A's play. So I hope that this is a subliminal message from him about disrespect for Oakland and the West Coast that he's carried over, even though he's now <laughs> playing for the White Sox. Also, he's just good. Yeah. And it's fun to watch his process involve a yeah, lot yeah, of yeah, swearing. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty entertaining. Uh, I'm not necessarily condoning it. But uh, I, am. I enjoyed it. <laughs> I am. <laughs> All right. Well, that is definitely going to bring us to the end of this episode. Thank you for being a part of it with me again, Alexander, here on Dugout Study Hall. And if you could just let the people know where they could find us. Well, they can find you on Twitter at the corked mat. I'm on Twitter at chase underscore rate. And most importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at Dugout Study Hall, where you can send us some questions. Please be sure to subscribe to the Pitcherless podcast feed if you haven't done that already. Leave us a good review if you can be so kind. And if you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.